Glory to God. Last week we were here and we talked about some, some fake news stuff. Who saw the post I put up on Facebook last night? It was last night. You may have seen it this morning, but nice little picture. I put a little question up there, a little quiz. Wanted to see who was working on it. We said that there was a situation. I was meditating on this for, for a bit. This, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the news is not quite true. It tries to generate you into a response. And as I was meditating on this came to, to, to me. There was a situation in the Word of God where God did it. God generated the false news to generate an emotional response. Now, I had to ponder on that for a little while. Anybody see that post? Anybody give it some thought? All right, end of the service, we're going to go over what that is. <laughs> I knew they were waiting. <laughs> <laughs> now it's yeah, it's important for the end of the service because I was meditating on that for a while. I said, "Well, God, how did you use this?" I mean, I thought this was always of the devil, and so um, I'm going to show you some things in it. But we're going to get into some other stuff here here first. If you just saw the one uh, little little quip we put up there about this morning's things we're getting into, we're going to look at somebody in the Old Testament who the enemy was constantly able to draw out of them fear. Constantly. Every time that it seemed like the devil wanted to, he was able to pull this person out into the area of fear. And it messed up where they were going and what they were doing. And it's just like, you know, we've been talking about drawing out. That there's good things in you, but there's also some bad things. And the enemy wants to draw out the bad. God wants to draw out the good. But too often we let the bad things be drawn out. We got to get away from the bad stuff and get into the good. Let God draw out those those good things for us. So if you're turning your Bibles, we're going to be over in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. Last week we threw out these things for you at the end. Can you be stirred up by what is false? Can you be stirred up by what is false? Some of you may say, well, I didn't know it was false. I thought it was true. Have you ever thought that? Well, if I knew it was false, it wouldn't have generated that response to me. What is of God is 100% true all the time because God is truth. If it is not 100% truth, who's it of? Jesus said you're of two things. You either of your Father in heaven or Satan. That's in, he told that to the Pharisees. You're either one father or the other. You're either in one kingdom or the other. There's only two kingdoms. There's only two fathers. You're one or the other. So if the truth does not contain 100% truth, then who's it from? I heard, uh, I was reminded of something that Brother Hagin had, had uh, taught to us. He said to us, he said, partial truth, I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty close to what he said, partial truth is not truth. Man. He also went on and talked about this because the Lord of God dealt with him. He says, do not exaggerate anything. He says, because exaggeration is not truth. Hmm. So basically it's this, partial truth and exaggerations are not truth. They're not of God. Don't be doing it. Remember uh, Billy Graham. He would always tell people, always underestimate the size of the crowd. Always underestimate the number of people who gave their life for God. Because what happened in his day when he got started is a lot of people exaggerated. 
If there were a thousand people there, they would say two thousand. If fifty people came to receive God, they'd say a hundred. They would exaggerate it. Well, that's not truth. So exaggeration is not truth. Neither is partial truth. It's not the truth. If you if a hundred people came and got born again and you said fifty, you'd still be right, wouldn't you? Because fifty people did, or just some other people beside the fifty who came and did it. But if you say a hundred and there's only 50, then that's not truth. We've got to make sure we stay on the side of truth. Can you be stirred up by what is false? If you can be stirred up by what is false, folks, you can be stirred up by what is evil. You ought to just meditate on that for a little bit. Because I'll tell you what, we've been, as a church, I'm not talking about us here personally, I mean across the country, as a church, Christians have been stirred up too much by what is evil by what is not true, and by what is false. There's a reason why that's a problem. We'll look into it here as we, as we go on. We said uh, last week we saw Proverbs 16:28, A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. When people come and they present to you things that are not true as though they are true, are they not trying to stir up strife? And does that not make them a perverse person? Proverbs 11.27 said, He who earnestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. Always be after the, the good of things. An angry man stirs up strife, tells Proverbs 29.22, and a furious man abounds in transgressions. We need to get to a place, folks, in our life where only what God says moves us. Only what God says moves us. That's all we need. That's where we need to stay. We've got to practice that kind of resistance. And last time we were together, two weeks ago, we talked about, we're going to look at that. How, how do I become more resistant? Well, in Genesis chapter 31, verse 1, the guy we're going to take a look at here is Jacob. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what was our father's, he has acquired all, his, all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. You may have read over this scripture a number of times and never really gave it any thought. But in anywhere, do we know that what he has said in these two verses, do we know it to be truth? We don't know it to be truth, do we? He overheard somebody speaking and came to a conclusion... And he saw how Laban looked at him and he came to a conclusion. He didn't talk to any of those people involved. He just came to a conclusion. How many times have you overheard somebody's conversation and came to a conclusion that they meant evil for you? They have plans against you. They don't like you anymore. Something negative would come out. How many times have you seen somebody's expression? Somebody looks upon you. Oh, what did, they, what did I do to them? You didn't go talk to them about it. This, this is what Jacob's doing. Who do you think puts in Jacob's heart when he sees, a, he sees something on Laban? He sees something in his face. Who do you think puts it in his mind, puts it in his heart to say, Laban doesn't like you anymore? Is that God? That's not God's way, is it? So where does it come from? 
if, it's not, if it doesn't come from God, the Word of God tells us it only has one other source. It's either going to have a good source or it's going to have a bad source. And you're going to make that well that's down on the inside of you, either good or bad. When he overhears these people talking, what should he have done? See, a lot of times we overhear people say things and then we go away and we talk to everybody else about it. And this is what's going to happen here. If you ever did that, you're going to see it right here in the Word of God. Instead of just going up to him, if he heard them saying that, you just go up to him. Hey, hey guys, what's up? I heard you talking. Do you really think that I stole stuff from your, from your dad? Well, no, no, we don't really think that. We know. You just deal with it right then. Just talk to him right then. Well, yeah, we do. We think you stole it. All right. Well, let's, let's take a look at this for a minute. Uh, do you remember back? And he could go over the whole thing. Do you remember back when um, I came here and I, I wanted to marry Rachel? And then he slipped in Leah. And so I had to, instead of working seven years, I worked 14 years. 14 years for the wife that I wanted. Did any of you have a problem with that? And then after that, when he wanted to keep me on, and we made this deal about the, the, the flocks. And the flocks have grown. Laban's flocks have grown. My flocks have grown. Did anybody have a problem with that? Well, no. So do you now have more flocks than you had before? Well, yeah, we do. And I have more flocks than I had before? Well, yeah, you do. So who's lost here? Well, I guess nobody. And then going on, wouldn't that have taken care of it? Wouldn't that be more God's way? But Jacob didn't follow God's way. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's God's way. This is not the way God does things. This is the way Laban does things. I can prove it to you as we keep on going. Out of the words of your mouth, whatever's on the inside of you is going to come out. Now, this is real careful. We're going to read one verse, and it's going to be a little while until we come back to it. Uh, We're going to keep on reading until we get to the other part. But I'm going to show you something that Jacob did that was wrong. I mean, really wrong. Let's read this. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. What did the Lord say? Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So whose idea is it to go back home? It's God's idea, isn't it? If it's God's idea to go back home, does God have good plans or bad plans? He's got good plans, right? When, when and, uh, Joseph was told to go to Egypt because the plans that people had for Jesus weren't good. And he what? He went and left it for Egypt. And then after a while, the word came to Joseph and said, what? Go back. Because the ones who sought the child's life are dead. And so he went back because it was safe. Would God lead you to go back to a place that wasn't safe? No. All right, remember that sentence. It's important. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock. Isn't it kind of interesting that, I don't know, you've got a picture of this sometimes. And what's, what's going on in the Bible? So he's out in the field. He just heard the over, overheard the conversation, or have we heard the, uh, maybe just overheard the conversation, but he just got the word from God. And he doesn't go to the house where they are. He calls them out to the field. Anything seem wrong with that? 
that seem kind of odd? Why are we calling this out to the field? Well, if we go into the enclosed space, they might be able to hear us. I want to talk to you about some things I don't want anybody knowing. Hmm. I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the Lord, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. He left out the part where he actively did some things to make sure that they would either have a streaked or, or, or spotted and so forth. Left that part out. But, that's, but I want you to paraphrase, I'm going to paraphrase what he said here because sometimes we can lose sight of it. It's got a little bit wordy right here. He's basically saying this. Look, ladies, I have been awesome. Your father's been a rascal. But I have been awesome. I mean, I have been so good for him. He is so lucky to have had me come aboard. But he's been terrible to me. And it happened at that time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel where you, I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Arise, or now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Anybody have a problem with that? Look at what he says that God said. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Is that what God said? Let me read over to you again what God said. Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. He puts it this way. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Doesn't it sound a little better the way he says it after he set the stage of how he's been cheated, and now Laban doesn't look well at him, and that all these things are coming against him, and that we just need to go? Doesn't it fit a little bit better in there? Did God say, get out? Go back over to it again. Return to the land of your fathers and to your family. Not get out. Return. And I will be with you. Instead, he says, now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. What he has said here is not the truth. It's a partial truth. In fact, he even lend himself to exaggerate some parts. Now look at what happens here. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Have you ever read over that and actually studied what they said? You're right. Our father is a scoundrel. I mean, he's mishandled our money. 
That's supposed to be our inheritance and he squandered it. He made it so it was nothing. He doesn't even see us as his daughters anymore. In fact, he sold us. Scoundrel. Do you see that attitude from God? Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Paran, Aram to go to his father's Isaac to the land or into the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unknown to Laban the Syrian in that he did not tell him that he intended to what? He intended to flee. What did God say to do? Return. What did Laban paraphrase God's words as? Get out. You see, return is not get out. Put it to you this way. If you're in a house and you're, there, somebody in the house he comes to you and it says, look, uh, can you return this to the store? Yeah, I know you just got this, but can you return this to the store? And you just, you go and return to the store and then, and then bring it back, right? But what if they come to you and say, get out! Does that spawn a different response? Get, get out! Get. <sighs> I heard, uh, um, listening to, to somebody on the YouTube and they were relating the story of a preacher who was on a train. And it, he's going somewhere to minister, I, I, I assume. I think it was he was on a train traveling. And uh, as he was sitting there, the Spirit of God came up on the inside of him and said, jump off the train now. Well, how many of you think that, you know, you're rebuking the spirit of, you're, you're rebuking the spirit of uh, destruction there? Because jumping off a train is not good. It's not a good thing to do. But he said, um, telling the story, he says, but I know the voice of God. And I know the voice of God told me, jump off the train. Now, I'm hearing the story and I'm trying to figure out, well, if it is God, maybe he has somebody there he wants them to minister to. And that's what I'm thinking about. So um, he, he did. He just obeyed. He jumped off the train. And he said, as he got up, he watched that train. And in just a little while, the train derailed. And many of the people in the train died. Now, see, that's a get out. <laughs> that's an urgency that's there. Not a return to the land of your fathers. See, he altered it. Because he altered it, he said it to his wives and they came back with, yeah, he doesn't love us anymore. Yeah, he sold us. Look how he squandered all the wealth. What we have, I don't care if we stole it from him or not. It's ours. We deserve it. That is not an attitude of God. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. And they took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey. And he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a night, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban with his red brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me? And carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? 
For I might have sent you away with joy and songs with timbrel and harp, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Did he correctly quote what God said? Look at what God said. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And look at what he says. Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Did he get it right? Isn't it kind of odd that ungodly or really unregenerated Laban quotes God correctly, but uh, Jacob doesn't. But think about this. How would you like it if right out from under you, your relatives just up and left? You didn't get get the chance to say goodbye to the grandkids, to the kids, nothing. They're just gone. Would that affect you? And now you have surely gone because you greatly longed for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Now that to me is one of the most interesting verses in this chapter. He assumes good. He assumes good of Jacob. Look, I'm sure you left because you really miss your father's house. And I understand that. And that's, that's fine. But, um, you know, you don't need to steal out going this way. And if you were, you know, just missing your father's house, why did you take my gods? And Jacob didn't know that they were gone. He didn't, didn't know Rachel had taken them. So we didn't take your gods. Tell you what, if you find them with anybody, that person, you can have them. You can, whatever, you, you know, you pronounce judgment upon them. But why have you done this? Now look at this next verse. Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. Because I was afraid. For I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live in the presence of our brethren. Identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Because I was afraid. So God speaks this word to him to return. And the enemy comes in and speaks a word about it. You know, if you just return, Laban's going to take your wives from you. He's going to take your kids from you. He's going to take your stuff. That's what Laban's going to do. He's going to do this to you. And it produced inside of him, it produced a fear. Did those thoughts come from God? They did not. But you see, the enemy knows how to pull out of you what is bad and what is detrimental to to the walk of faith. He knows how to do it. He knows how to get other people to say things and to stir that up as he did with the sons of Laban. As he did with the countenance of Laban. He uses all these things to sow something on the inside of you to get out of you what he wants. He doesn't want to see that faith stuff. He wants to see some fear. He wants to see some stuff that's going to tear you down. This is what he wants to see. So he is going to be working on you to pull it out. In the things that you hear from other people, in the news reports that you hear, in whatever it is that he can do, he is going to generate stuff. And he doesn't care where it comes from as long as he generates fear out of you. As long as he generates a feeling of, I've been robbed. Someone has taken something from me. Someone has done me wrong. 
As long as he can generate these thoughts from you, then <laughs> he's got you. Because he has pulled out of you the things that God cannot use and the things that work against your faith. Because I was afraid. Down in verse 43, well, verse 36, after they went through and they searched everything and they didn't find it, Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? So he got a little bold about this now because, well, you didn't find what you said you were looking for. So now I'm going to yell at you for a while. Verse 43, And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. And this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to the children whom they have borne? I guess he's figuring, well, God's on your side. I can't really take anything from you. But he still saw them all as him, as his. That's a wrong, wrong viewpoint. So here we have the first thing. God spoke to him, return to the land of your fathers and I will be with you. Return to the land of your fathers and I will be with you. And so we're doing this, but on along the way, we see that the enemy comes up to generate wrong feelings. But he's still on his way to do it. And he went through quite an ordeal with all this. I mean, can you imagine the ordeal going through all this fear that your wives are going to be taken from you, your kids are going to be taken from you, all your flocks and livestock, all your, all your stuff is going to be taken from you? This is a fear that's in there, so much so that you flee and leave. Well, we get out of there and we come into chapter 32. So Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. And 400 men with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that were with him. And the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. So again, he sent messengers to him. I want to let him know I'm coming. I want you to let, let him know that I, I, I want, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I want to bury the hatchet here. And, and go out there and, and to, to see him. I know we didn't leave on great terms. But... Um, Esau, I'm coming to see you. You're my brother. And the Lord has told him, return to the land of your fathers. So he's coming. And so he sends this. And so the servants come back and all they say is, oh, he's coming to meet you with 400 guys. Now, if you're thinking he's bringing 400 men, what do you think he's coming to do? Well, don't you think someone's whispering in his ear? They're coming to kill you. He's got 400 guys. They all probably got swords and spears and they are armed and they are ready to come out here and take you out because you know that's how you left it. When you left, he was ready to take you out. He's just waiting for dad to die. And as soon as dad was going to die, he's going to take you out. You know it. He says, yeah, I know it. He's, he's probably still mad with that. He's going to come and, oh man, why did I come out here? Why did I just stay where I was? 
Why did I go out here and do this? Why did he do it? Because God spoke to him. Return to the land of your fathers and I will be with you. If God is going to be with him, is harm going to come to him? He had Laban and apparently Laban may have had some ill intentions to him. But God showed up. He even tells him, God showed up in a dream and he spoke this to me. Don't you speak anything good or bad? Now, why not good? Why does God say don't speak anything good to him? He says, I, I want you to stay neutral. I don't want to hear anything good come out of your mouth, thinking that whatever good's going to come from here came because you blessed them. And I don't want anything bad coming out of your mouth. Don't you do it. God warned him. Well, if God showed up to speak to him, how much more do you think he would come and, and speak to someone who probably knows more about God than Laban did? But he became fearful. So again, he goes into the way of being fearful. And he says, oh no, he's coming to kill me. Oh, I better come up with a plan. He doesn't ask God, God, what should I do? What kind of a plan should I do? How should I do this? He comes up with his own plan. He says, I'll tell you what, we're going to do this. We're going to divide everybody up. So we'll send Rachel and some of them out this way. We'll send Leah and some of them out this way. If they get Leah, well, you know, I'm sorry to see her go. But <laughs> Rachel's over here. At least I still got some of them, some of them left. Uh, he's sending them different directions. He's trying to split them up. He's trying to preserve something out of, out of all this because he's expecting the worst and he's fearful. So this, is, uh, this has been tough. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people and there were with him that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels in the two companies. He was afraid and distressed. Is that of God? Does God do anything to lead you into a place of fear and distress? So the only way you can get there is by following another source. So Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of the place. Oh, I think I, I jumped backwards somewhere. Probably went the wrong direction. Yeah, but I don't have my verses on here anymore. Where are we at? So Jacob was great. Go to, go to verse 8. Pull that up. And he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. See? We're, we're just, we at least got one of them. At least somebody is going gonna, is gonna to stick around here. And that's what we, we need to have. And it looks like I just copied the wrong thing over. So let's go ahead and do this. We'll read it from here. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. Look at it now. Look at this verse here. Go back to that one. Return to your country and your family. And what? What did God say? Remember when God spoke to him in the beginning. Return to your country and to your family and I will be with you. What does he say? And I will deal well with you. He changed it, didn't he? Now, you could certainly get that meaning out of what God said, but that's not what God said. If you're going to put God in remembrance of what he said, make sure you say what he said, because that's not what he said. I will deal well with you. Basically, he's saying this, look, <laughs> I don't feel like this deal is going so well for me. 
And I think that what you said is, if I come on out here, that it's going to be a good deal for me. And this is not. He should just say, you said you would be with me. Father God, if you're going to be with me, then good things are going to come. I'm not going to get into a place of fear. You are about me. You are here to protect me. Verse 10. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth which you have shown, your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. See, he's in fear. He was just in fear with Laban. He's in fear now again. He keeps getting pulled into fear because the enemy knows how to press his buttons, knows how to pull him into a place of fear and torment, distress, because in that place, you're not going to be in a place of faith. When you're not in a place of faith, folks, you don't remember the words of God correctly. You remember them as you want them. But in a place of faith, you can remember exactly what God says and stay with it. And we don't have a problem with the things that he, that he has to say. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, divided the people there with him and the flocks and herds, the two companies, for he said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Hmm. Well, we see that after, after all this, he, he camps out, he lodges there, kind of stays put for a little bit. We have uh, an episode that goes on with him and an angel, some wrestling and things like that. We're not going to cover all those different things, even though they're fun to cover. And maybe we will before long. But he devises a plan. In verse... Um, pick up in the verse where it says, So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels. Ever had the camel of a milk? Or camel's milk? Oof, I have not either. I don't know if I like that idea. But, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 fowls. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every, <clears throat> every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? What, whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him. But he himself lodged that night in the camp. So here you go. He has devised a plan. He says, I will appease him with gifts. Did God say to do it? God did not say to do this. He devised the plan himself. And he said, I'm going to have this have an impact. I'm going to take this massive gift and I'm going to divide it up into the first drove and the second drove and the third drove. There was at least a fourth drove. May have been a fifth 
And there was droves. And they would just come in droves. Here's the first drove that came on in. And Esau says, what is this? Oh, this is a present from your, your, your buddy, your brother. Jacob sent this to you. It's because he loves you. And he's behind us. He's coming up here next. Oh, good. I get to, to see him. And then another drove come and he's thinking, oh, this is going to be him. And he's not there. This is more gifts. One drove could have been the camels. One drove could have been the cows. One drove could have been the donkeys. Whatever it might be. He's, uh, he's bringing all this stuff up. Uh, and then the next one comes. And, uh, and if you want to put this into some present day stuff, imagine that somebody's coming to meet you and they send you the, the first drove. And it's a nice, shiny, brand new Camaro. And then after that, he, uh, he says, you know, just in case you don't like cars, he sends you a, a brand new Ford 150 truck with everything on it. And then after that one comes, he then sends you a, because we know certain people here like these things, a Harley Davidson. And everything that you needed to go along with it. And just in case you weren't into motorcycles or trucks or cars, after that he sent you a boat. Boat comes on up. Now you got a boat. And in case that wasn't uh, good enough for you, he sent you some stocks in a company like Microsoft or Apple. Just stocks. And just drove after drove all these things would just come to you. And by the time he would get there, he's hoping that maybe you have a different countenance to him because he's already decided that you are coming to meet him harm. So maybe if I give you some presents, you won't do it. You won't, you won't meet me with harm. That's not believing the Word of God, is it? Word of God is, return to the land of your fathers and I will be with you. It's a simple word, but if God's going to be with you, if God told you to return, then it's going to go good. It's going to be okay. You don't have to go through all this. But he did anyway. Chapter 33, verse 1. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants, and he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and his children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. And he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and he saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? Does that sound like a man who had ill intent? It sounds like he's been looking forward to, to seeing him, that God maybe have, had dealt with him. He was over all that anger. So he said, The children whom God has generously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near. They and their children and bowed down. And Lee also came near with her children. And they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near and they bowed down. Now I want you to take a look at this. Do you see a different attitude in Jacob here than he was in the field with his wives? Remember when he was in the field with his wives? Remember what he was saying? He's changed the wages. He keeps trying to take from me. And God has not let him do that. And then Rachel and Leah, they chime up and say, yeah, our father, what we have, we deserve it. We should have had it. He's not going to take any of this from us. He squandered the wealth. He sold us out. But now you come in here and say, oh, but God has so graciously blessed us. 
with all of these things. See, that's false. One of those is not the real attitude, maybe both. But you see, we're exaggerating in one direction, and then we get over here, we exaggerate over in the other. Maybe he's somewhere in between, but he's not being truthful. Be truthful with what you feel. If you don't think you should feel it, then get rid of that feeling. Then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. In other words, God's blessed me great. I got more than I can, I can handle. And Jacob said, no, please. If I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. And as much as I have seen your face, as though I had seen the face of God. Really? Was that a bad exaggeration? And you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. Now Jacob is going to get better as time goes on. He is going to get better. He's going to become more a person of faith and not a person of fear. God has to do some work with him. But thank God, if God could work with someone like Jacob and turn him into Israel and turn him into a man that he could bless, how much more can he do with you? And if God is not tired of dealing with this man at this point, he is not tired of dealing with you. For 20 years, he served over there with Laban. 14 years for his wives. And grumbled and complained apparently the whole time. And God still continued to minister to him. If God has not grown tired of him, he has not grown tired of you. And he will continue to work for you. Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Look at what Jesus taught here. Because this is how the principle, this is how that principle we just looked at in Genesis works. Now, when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to him, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves or the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves or the four thousand, how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We've talked about this before, but I want you to see it in light of, of what was here. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Their doctrine was filled with a lot of different things. And I wrote down some descriptions of this. There were intentional deceptions in their doctrine. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, which teach things, intent, intentionally deceiving the people that heard them. They purposefully made it murky. They, did, they didn't want total clarity on this. I want it to be a little bit murky because then I can put on the interpretation that I want to do. There was partial information, partial truth. There was deliberate fabrication of things. There was carefully crafted presentations or another thing they would do is just outright lies because they would come up with things like you cannot heal on the Sabbath. Where in the Bible does it say you can't heal on the Sabbath? It doesn't say that at all, does it? Even Jesus says, is it lawful to do good or to do evil? 
on the Sabbath. And they couldn't answer them. They came up with, with laws of divorce that were against what the Word of God said. And so they even came to Jesus and they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus said, well, with God, it's not supposed to happen at all. But because of your hardness of heart, God put divorce in the, in the law. It, Moses write it in there. But even now, you guys aren't following that. You're doing your own thing. Because this is what they would do. This is how they would, they would approach the people. And so Jesus would be seeing this. And the passage right before we picked up on this, they were saying, show us a sign. Now, if we were going to do this today, beware of the leaven and beware of the, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. If we were going to say that today, we don't have Pharisees and Sadducees, do we? We don't have them. So I would, I would put it this way. This is my own version of the thing. I would say, beware of the leaven of the news media and of Hollywood. Because these are the ones who try and pass off a lot of this stuff. Beware. Beware of it. Because what happens is, is a little of it gets in and it begins to penetrate to you. But look how he started this thing. O you of little faith. Why does he say, O you of little faith? Because they misunderstood what he, under, what he was teaching them. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves that it's because they forgot to take bread. And he says, O you of little faith. Why do you think I'm talking about bread? What's faith got to do with it? So I was meditating on this for a little bit, pondering on it. Well, we know that faith works by... Faith works by love. And we know that perfect love casts out all fear. So not walking in love keeps us on a low threshold of understanding. Keeps you on a low threshold. I can't understand things because, because of that... I can't understand the spiritual principle because I'm, I'm way down here. Because my faith is, is weak. It's little. It's little faith. Because I'm not letting it grow. I'm not letting it grow. I keep, the enemy keeps pulling me back, back into fear. He keeps pulling me back in these, these things where I'm not walking in love. When I'm not walking in love, I'm not understanding spiritual principles. When I don't understand sp- spiritual principles, I don't mature. I don't grow. I look at everything and how it affects me. How does this speak to me? How does this affect me? That's my world. And it's going to keep you weak. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. See, the enemy wants to get you to fear the people that are around you. The fear of man brings a snare. I don't care if they're born again people or heathen. You do not need to fear man. Jacob feared Laban. Jacob feared Esau. Caused him to do some things he shouldn't do. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So I put these things in here for you to write down. First off, resist the fear of generating words of others. Resist the fear of generating words of others. When other people speak words that try and produce fear and you resist them. No, no, I'm not taking that one in. No, I'm not, I'm not pulling that one in. No, I'm not going to think my boss doesn't like me. I'm not going to think my coworkers are out to get me. I'm not going to think this about, 
these are, these are the people that I'm around. Not going to do it. Resist the fear generating words of others. Don't give in to them. Don't matter if they're in the news media. Doesn't matter if they're in your backyard. Doesn't matter if it's family and friends. Resist it. Don't let it in. Resist the interpretation of looks. If you get a look from somebody and that interpretation wants to come, resist it. Otherwise, you're going to be walking in the way of Laban. Don't be doing it. It's not going to to generate good things. Here's the third one. Resist the thoughts that produce fear. Those thoughts that come in that cause you to think, I'm going to lose this. Someone's going to take this from me. This is about to happen here. This is going on here. Resist those thoughts. When those thoughts come, fight them. No, I'm not going to take them. I'm, I'm not going to bring that in. Uh-uh. Resist responding with emotions. Resist it. Because the enemy, he doesn't care which emotion he gets. He just wants to get you into them. He wants to get you to the point where you are responding out of emotion, not out of faith. You're responding out of your flesh, not out of the word. That's where he wants to get you. He doesn't care which one. Just so he gets you into one. It could be fear, it could be anger, hurt, whatever term you want. He doesn't care which one. As long as he gets you into one of them, he pulls you into the flesh. Go back into the New Testament. The works of the flesh are evident. That's the works of the flesh. Don't follow after those. But the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, they're different. All right, so did you figure out the fake news story? You don't have to say it out loud, but how many think you might have an idea who the fake news story is? Anybody at all? Man, I should, I should write riddles. It happened in the Old Testament. There was a story that was generated for the sole purpose of producing an emotional response. There was no other purpose for it but that. The story had absolutely no fact to it at all. It never happened, but was presented as truth. It was presented by one of God's prophets. And that prophet's name was Nathan. Nathan came before David and said, David, I got a story to tell you. There was a man that had a little lamb. And they kept this lamb in the family. It was like a pet. Kids loved it. Kids would feed it. It would eat at the table. They had a neighbor. And this neighbor had a friend come over and he had flocks all over. But he didn't want to take from his own flock. So he came over to this family who had this one little lamb that treated it as a pet, part of their family. And they killed it and they ate it. And what happened to David? David became angry. And he said, this man shall die. And what does Nathan say? Nathan says, David, you are the man. You are the man. There was no lamb. There was no guest. But you went to someone else and you took a member of their family and you killed them. You disrupted that entire family. But God has said you're not going to die. Now, why does God use a fake news story? 
to generate an emotional response. It's quite simple. David, for months, had been ignoring the voice of God. He was resistant to the things in the Spirit and was not hearing what God was saying. So God appealed to him in the only level that he could, the level of his flesh. Because he knew this fake story would stir up his flesh and get his anger aroused. And then maybe we can wake him up. God used fake news. <laughs> Why did he do that? David, you're the man who did this thing. See, it didn't happen exactly as I said it there. But how it did happen is you killed a member of the family. He just happened to be the husband, not the lamb. But you see, we're still in a place where the flesh gets our attention. If you continue to live a life in which things that happen in the flesh get your attention, you will hinder the development of your spirit. And you will not become the spiritual person God wants. We had an event that happened down in Maryland. How many heard about the shooting that occurred in the newsroom down in Maryland? Did you hear what they blamed it on initially? The initial reports were, out of all the news agencies, the initial reports were, this is a result because Trump has come against the newspapers because he's come against the news and therefore people have come against and they've, they've gone in, they shot people. And there's a whole lot of folks who embraced that and believed it. It got to be so bad that they could not cover up the real reason for it that I even saw that CNN had to report the truth on it. That this man had a six-year-old grudge with the newspaper, which six years, I believe that predates Trump. And that's why he went in and shot them up. But you see, all we have to do, there's the truth that was there. So a man went in and shot some people. But then we begin to mix in other stuff. And if you allow these people to continue to stir you up and get you angry, you will hinder your spiritual development. You will not become the man or woman of God that God wants you to be. You will not become the man or woman of faith that God wants you to be. Because all the devil has to do is do something to stir up your flesh, to stir up your anger, to stir up a fear, whatever it might be. And he can pull you in and you are out of the realm of the Spirit. The more that you are stirred up in this realm, the less you will understand of the things of the Spirit. You've got to get to the point where you don't listen to it. So Jesus came out to them and he said, Look, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These guys are going to come out and they're going to teach you things and they're going to be wrong. But they're going to try and stir you up. They're going to try and get you into a direction. Beware of it. Don't go after it. He told them that. Beware of, don't, don't go after this stuff. Folks, that's what we've got to do. We've got to beware of this because they're going to continue to come on out and to, and to try and stir you, stir you up. We talked about the immigration things two weeks ago and you know more has come in and about that. And um, I, apparently the, the president wrote a, um, what do they call it, an executive order to negate the law. Folks, I told you about it when President Obama was in office that that kind of thing is wrong. 
I don't change my mind because somebody else is in president. I don't change my mind if I like the person who's in president. You cannot write an executive order to disengage a law on the books that is not lawful by our Constitution. If you want to get rid of a law on the books, you must pass either another law or negate that law. That's how you do it. A president does not have the power to negate a law on the books, despite the fact that you may not like the law. You don't have Congress passes laws. President enforces them, whether he likes them or not. He enforces them. If he doesn't like a law, he vetoes it. If it gets overridden, he still has to go through with it. He still has to go out there and do, and to do that thing. We can't be doing that. We we have. We've got so many people stirred up on emotional things here. We've got a new justice that's going to be appointed and they're all saying, you know, Roe versus Wade is dead and, and so forth. And Roe versus Wade, folks, by our Constitution, is not lawful. Because what you have, and I can take you all the way back to when it started, but the, the, um, the lawyers started passing laws. Roe versus Wade has no law in Congress. There's no law to back it up. All it has is a, is a court decision. You cannot write legislation by a court decision. If you want legislation, it is written by the Congress and it is passed or signed by the president. That's how it goes. The courts don't make laws. So we have a law on the books that is not legal. Whether you agree with it or don't agree with it makes no difference at all. Whether you want it to, to be done away with or... or it makes no if the if the Congress or if the court passed a law saying abortion is illegal, they can't do it. You have to pass a law in the Congress. The president must sign it. Then it becomes a law. And I don't care if I like the people that are in there or don't. That's the way the law operates in our country. But you see, the he's going to stir up people and he stirs up Christians. And he gets you to, I'm not going to do this law because I don't agree with the law. But the Word of God says, what about the laws? It says, obey them. Now, if they go against God, if, if they say, you must go out and kill someone, well, that goes against the Word of God. You can't, you can't do that. I understand those, those kind of things. You can't, the law says you're going to worship this. Well, no. <laughs> we already have examples in the Word of God. If the law comes and it tells you to do something that God said, thou shalt not, then we shall not. But whenever somebody did that in the Word of God, they took the penalty. I'm not going to do that, so do as to me as you, as you want. Because I'm not going to do it. You can throw me in the lion's den. You can throw me in the fiery furnace. You can do whatever it is you want. That's fine, but I'm not going to do the law. But I will take the penalty. That's how Christians ought to, how we ought to face it. But you see, we still let our emotions get tied up. Don't let your emotions get caught up on any cause of men any cause of race, any cause of sexual orientation, and don't get caught up in these causes. Stay caught up with the cause of God. God wants you to stand up for Him, not for other things. Don't, uh, don't give in to it. Well, the enemy doesn't have to stop you from believing the truth. He doesn't have to do it. All he has to do is get you to believe something else as well. All he has to do is get a little leaven mixed in with that truth. All right, you believe that Jesus Christ is the healer. I'm going to bring in a little leaven and say sometimes God has a purpose for sickness. I may have heard that little bit of leaven come in. 
And that negates the whole thing, doesn't it? You talk to somebody who believes that God has a purpose for sickness and you can't get them healed no matter what you show them in the Word of God because that little bit of leaven came in. The devil knows he cannot always take the truth out from you, so he tries to add to it. That's one of his tactics. He will try and add to it. Let's just try, let's just take a little bit of this because if I can get a little leaven in you, just a little bit of leaven, that leaven will grow and begins to multiply and pretty soon your emotions are involved and you get angry at stuff and, and, and things like this. Don't be doing it. It's going to hold you back. You're going to be drawing out the wrong stuff and the water that's inside your well is going to be bitter and no one's coming. No one's going to be around you. No one's going to want to come by and pull anything out that you got because what you have is bitter. Don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Stay resistant to it. So if you hear a news report, resist it. Resist. I will renew. Re- resist whatever I hear from those ungodly newscasters. I resist what I hear from Fox. Don't be preaching to me and say, well, you're just a Fox News person. I don't even turn them on. They may once in a while get it right, but I hear stuff that they're doing and they're just stirring up people too. I don't turn any of them on. I got other, other ways of finding out things and uh, people that don't get caught up in the negative aspect of, the, of stuff. But don't get caught up in it. Resist it. Every time you hear it, resist it. Resist it. The more you resist these things from the enemy, the more you will walk in the realm of faith. And the more victory you walk in. But every time the enemy can get you stirred up in your flesh, stirred up into anger, stirred up into... It's going to keep you on a lower level. Get out of that level. Go up to a higher one. Don't hate the people who, who bring this stuff. Just keep on walking in love. I'm not getting out of my walk in love. I'm going to do what my father says. I'm going to say what my father says to say. I'm going to speak the truth that my father gave me to speak. And that's it. That's it. You're going to take up a cause. Take up the cause of God. Don't take up this other stuff. I've got a few more, few more blanks for you. God wants us in faith. Satan wants us in fear. You all know that one. God wants us in faith. Satan wants us in fear. God wants us to trust him. The enemy wants us emotional. He doesn't want you walking in trust with God. He wants you emotional. And as long as you're in an emotional state, you're not trusting. As long as you're angry, as long as you're fretting, as long as you're worried, anxious, all these things are coming up, you're not trusting. God wants us to walk in love. The enemy wants us angry. God wants us to stand up for Him. The enemy for our causes. Whatever cause it might be. And that cause might even seem good. But God wants us to stand up for Him. The enemy wants us to stand up for our causes because the causes of men produce anger. They produce emotion. They produce all kinds of bad fleshly things. But the causes of God don't. Stay on that side. God tells us to abide the laws of the land, the enemy, only the ones that suit us. I don't like that law. I'm not going to do that one. I like this law. I'm going to do it. Don't get down on a lower level. You stay on that lower level, you're going to hear things from the Word of God and you're going to understand them in a fleshly way. Well, because we didn't take bread. Get tired of living on that level of understanding the Word. 
Go for a higher level. Father God, I want to get out of this, this place down here. And I want to move on. And when you speak something, I hear what is spiritual, not what is of the flesh. That's what I want to hear. Would you all stand up with me? We have a, our communion Sunday. You want to talk about somebody who could have gotten emotional. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, He could have gotten emotional on that day when everything was coming down to the cross. He knew it was coming. He knew it was, it was going to be here. He could have gotten emotional. But He stayed in the realm of faith. He stayed in the place of believing God is not going to leave me in hell. He's not going to leave me dead. God is going to raise me up from the dead. Because this is what God told me He was going to do. The enemy is telling him, you're not. I'm going to kill you and it's going to be all over. And all this that you did was for nothing. You know He's been telling them that. He even gave him another plan. Because apparently Jesus had another plan. But He said, Father, not my will but yours. Now, I'm not going to follow the one that's on the inside of me. I'm going to follow the one that you gave me. Don't become a flesh creature. God made you a spirit creature. Be spiritual. Every time that, an, that a response comes from you, evaluate it. Is this from my emotions? Is it from my flesh? Or is it from my spirit? If it's not from your spirit, don't dwell on it. Because you're just making your flesh bigger. You're going to walk in less and less knowledge of the Word of God. The anointing on you is going to lessen. Or you're just never going to pursue the anointing that God had for you. The plans that God has, you'll never get to because the flesh keeps you anchored. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have those plans. But as long as Jacob followed after his flesh, he didn't see all the plans that God had. But he eventually got to that place where he did. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That on his body was put our sickness, our disease. All those things were put upon him so that we don't have to bear it. Let's eat together and remember. At the end of supper, he took the cup. said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. This is the forgiveness of sins. This is our redemption. He bought us back with a price we couldn't pay. He bought us back with the price of Jesus' blood. Nothing you need to add. Can't do anything to earn forgiveness. We just receive it. Let's drink together and remember that we receive the forgiveness of God. Glory to God. Father, we thank you that we are redeemed and we are set free because of the work of Jesus. We receive that work and we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we go, a few things to pass on to you. Angela was watching here today. Got that note to begin the service. Is she still on there? Can you?
can't always tell who's, uh, who's on there, but she, tu- she tuned in. We sent you around the text message to let you all know how she was doing. And so she, uh, uh, Ray was going to come on out, but uh, decided to stay back, and she was having some trouble last night with the, uh, oh, I forget the term. I even asked Ray about it. I said, Ray, I don't know what that term means, and he defined it for me. But the fibrillation that, uh, the, the wrong, not a good kind. So the, they had that under control, but she's very, very tired. Very, um, very tired that way. So I said, well, I'll give a call and check in before I just stop on by and see how we're, how we're doing. Um, we had a praise report. Les and Marguerite are celebrating their 42nd wedding anniversary. That's all right. Glory to God for that one. Ethel says, and I'm going to get some help on this one. Uh, during last Friday with Marty, he said things will be turning around. During the service, my left knee, which had been hurting for about a week, stopped. And I took the support band off. The next day, I took Zumba without pain. In, without a pain in my knee. Uh, that's, that's pretty good because Zumba's pretty hard on your, on your stuff there. Glory to God. All right. Candy and Bobby are not here. Candy said uh, apparently she has a headache and to be agreeing with her that this is gone so we can we can certainly do that but um all right um there is no service on wednesday because it's the fourth of july and everybody's out doing other things so no service on on wednesday we'll be back here again uh, next sunday some of the kids we have a, a carnival going on for them today they're supposed to be bringing their kids their their friends out to to um give them an opportunity to come on out to Sunday school to see the things that are going on so that happens here this afternoon. The kids are supposed to be doing. What's that? I didn't get it. We have another praise report. Oh, oh, she's writing one. I got it. <laughs> I did not see that. See that. But um, uh, outside of that, I don't think there's too much else going on. How many people are traveling for the Fourth of July? I am not. I'm staying right around the. Right around the house. Not going anywhere. Thank you. Oh, Praises has her 2020 vision back. All right. That is great. She's been uh, mostly there. Just a little bit was, uh, was uh, working its way on in. But uh, glory to God for that. No blurriness at all. Oh, that's, that is good. Had the appointment on Wednesday and they checked her all out? That is, that is good to hear. All right, folks. Well, bless some people before you go. And we will see, see you on Sunday next week.